Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Soup Experience. This is episode number 17. And, uh, yeah, hey man, welcome to the podcast. So, if the sound is a little... <laughs> if the sound is a little bit crazy, uh, yeah, I, there's an attachment that goes from the microphone to the podcast... I don't, or uh, to the iPad. I have no idea where the attachment's at. Uh, yeah, so I looked for it. I can't find it. It's uh, late on a Sunday evening, and so I'm done looking for it. I'm just going to do the podcast. And so if it sounds a little airy, uh, I don't know. I am um, in the area affectionately called the undergrounds candles lit uh stage lights on uh every once in a while my wife uh peeks in the room (laughs) and so there she is okay um yeah so we're just winging it man and uh yeah so if it sounds a little weird just uh roll with it all right so it is december 2nd uh this will come out late 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 december 2nd to those of you who are looking for the podcast you will probably hear it uh, december 3rd but december 2nd is actually the first day of hanukkah right which is a jewish celebration the festival of lights and if you don't know much about it you should uh jump online and check that out it is uh i'll give you a basic synopsis of what hanukkah is anyway so it is a celebration of a period of time when the hebrew people were ruled by the syrians in particular a guy by the name of antiochus epiphanes uh not a great guy he uh was pretty abusive to them and he outlawed um, all their ceremonies, uh, temples, worship, so on, and he defiled their temples, slaughtered unclean animals on their altars, and all these kinds of uh, all these kinds of things. So, a group of these Hebrews ran to the mountains to escape his tyranny, and they were known as the Maccabees. Uh, Antiochus wasn't having any of that, so he went after them and waged war against the Maccabees and was defeated. Right, so miraculously, uh, the Maccabees defeated uh, the Syrians and restored worship uh, to their temple. Now, the problem was they uh, they had an eight day celebration, but they only had enough oil to burn uh, for one day. But miraculously, uh, the lamps burned for the entire eight days, and so Hanukkah is uh, the memorialization of that miraculous event and uh, there's uh, other symbolic things that go along with the celebration and you should check it out because um, it's really a very cool uh, celebration of uh, what is really the root right Christianity is merely an extension of that faith uh, or a continuation of it some may say and so you should check that out it's a very cool interesting um, celebration. So anyway, uh, December 2nd is the first day. You're probably hearing this on the 2nd, 3rd, maybe some of you even on the 4th. Uh, but yeah, check that out, man. It's really cool. So also, before we jump into what I want to talk to you about, um, 
Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And uh, if you have not liked, followed, whatever, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, the Black Sheep Experience, then go do that. It takes like 15 seconds, and um, man, it's a big deal. It really helps us out quite a lot, and I uh, enjoy seeing those likes, follows, etc. So, also, if you listen to the podcast, man, let everybody know you're listening. All your friends on social media, let them know you're out there or that we're out here and um, and that you like the podcast. That, that also is a huge deal. I've talked about this before. We don't have... Uh, I don't have like an advertising budget so um, you're probably not going to see any sponsored ads from the Black Sheep Experience so what I need you to do uh, is just share the podcast on your stuff man that's a big deal right and I would uh, I would greatly appreciate that okay so enough of that let's talk about our subject today and what I'd like to do is I'd like to start out with I think a quote from a guy named Thomas Kempis now uh, Thomas Kempis is really um, most notably known probably among uh, those in the Catholic Church right or in the Catholic uh, I, I, I guess expression of Christianity and uh, Thomas Kempis has a book called The Imitation of Christ, which is pretty popular. And uh, it's really a great book, and there's some really cool quotes in it. And that's where I'd like to start today, with a quote from Thomas Kempis. And uh, this is that quote. Deepen my love so that I may learn to savor in my inmost being how sweet it is to love how sweet it is to be dissolved and float on a sea of love. Let love take possession of me and let me rise above myself with unheard of fervor and wonder. Oh, man. So um, this is a heavy, I think, quote, right? Kempis, um, uh, many people would describe him as a mystic, so Kempis, his expression of his faith isn't just intellectual. He's an intellectual guy for sure, but um, it's, uh, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's an all-encompassing experience, right? So Kempis has an intellectual pursuit, he has an emotional pursuit, he has a spiritual pursuit where he wants to be completely apprehended uh, by God. Now, what Kempis is talking about is getting uh, tangled up in the intensity of the love that God has for us and being so caught up in that love uh, to the degree that the love of God elevates him from the anxiety that comes with being a human being. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? So what Kempis is saying is he wants to be so baptized in the love of God that the love of God, uh, again, literally elevates, uh, elevates him, elevates us from the anxiety 
from the from the stress um, that comes with being a human being, right? And so he says, um, let love take possession of me and let me rise above myself. Now, I think there's a lot of things to extrapolate from this statement. First of all, he says, uh, and I'm, you know, for those of you uh, well, let, let, let's one thing at a time, right? So I'm jumping ahead of myself. So he says, um, deepen my love so that I may learn to savor in my inmost being how sweet it is to love and how sweet it is to be dissolved and float on a sea of love. Now, what I like about that is Kempis is recognizing and expressing that experiencing love walking in love living in love um, even the act of being loved is really a learned behavior uh and think about that just for a moment. You know, the Bible talks about being perfected or, or not yet being made perfect in love. And I, I think that there's something interesting about that. Um, and that is that you and I really have to learn um, to be loved. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange, but the reality is, is that for most of us, our experience with love is on the basis of human interaction. Now, this isn't, I'm not degrading humans in any way because I am one, but I, I think that for so many of us, uh, especially on a human level, love is, uh, many times it's an action Many times it's an expression, but with love, uh, or with God, love is not an expression. Love is not an action. Love is the very composition and identity, the fabric, the stuff that God himself is made of. And so what Kempis is saying here is... Um, let me learn to savor uh, to meditate to well, how would you say that um, this is a weird word but almost like marinate in how sweet it is to love and to be loved you know, 1 John four eighteen says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who uh, fears is not made perfect in love. And, and I always took that to, to, to say that for so many of us who experience fear, 
um, who, who believe in the punishment, right? Um, we have a ways to go in still accepting and receiving the love of God. And, and I really think that's what, that's what the Scripture is talking about. And so when Kempis is talking here, I think this is... Um, I think it's really powerful because I think for so many of us, um, we haven't learned to really receive the love of God yet. We're still struggling with it. For a lot of us, we're still trying to earn it. For a lot of us, we're still trying to achieve it. And what Kempis is saying is, let me let me learn to marinate in it. Let me learn to savor it. Let me learn to just bask in the wonder and the beauty um, of how sweet God's love is. Uh, I like when he says, let me be dissolved in it. Let the the let let me myself uh, really fade in the light of its of its wonder, right? So he says, uh, "Let me learn to savor it. Let me be dissolved in it and float in it." And then he goes on to say, "Let love take possession of me, and let me rise above myself." And so. Uh, so I, th- I think what he's saying there, or what I'm, what I glean from that is, you know, so many of us um, suffer with the condition of being human, and again, that's not a, um, that isn't an insult. It's simply a reality. You know, every one of us, we have our own emotional, uh, even perhaps psychological mental deficiencies, insecurities, jealousies, um, anger, upset, uh, hurts, um, you know, a variety of emotional deficiencies, uh, uh, um, even mental deficiencies, right? And perhaps they're caused by events or they're caused by um, learned behavior, poor teaching, poor upbringing, uh, the culture that surrounds us, whatever the case may be, many of us are uh, shackled by simply the weakness of being a human. We all have that. And we all have that in varying degrees, and we all have that in a variety of expressions, right? Some of us are very jealous, some of us are very insecure, some of us are uh, very upset, very anxious, right? Very emotional. Um, Others just, you know, completely amped all the time. And so what Kempis is saying here is, let love take possession of me in such a way that I rise above myself. Let love take possession of me in such a way that my deficiencies no longer control me. Not that they're not present. Not that they don't present themselves. But that the light and the glory and the beauty of God's love overshadow 
or outshine those deficiencies. And what I like about this is Kempis is not in any way uh, detracting from or denying his hum- his humanness, right? His own humanity. Uh, but instead, what he's saying is, I think that there's a love of God and a and a beauty to His love that can dissolve me in its own power and help me to rise above myself. That I get so tangled up in the intensity uh, of the love that God has for me um, that the love of God elevates me from the anxiety that comes with being a human. That I get so baptized in the love God has for me, for us, that His love elevates me, that His love elevates us from the anxiety that comes with being human. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, And that's an interesting idea, right? Kempis is daring you and I to believe that God has, uh, for us, a sense of security, a sense of completion, a sense of belonging, a sense of I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, just that belonging, that identity, that even during times of trouble, even during times of persecution, even during times of frustration and fear, and you know, some of the more upsetting things that uh, that we experience, that somehow we are still elevated above our own selves you know perhaps it is uh, I don't know maybe even a a little bit um, I I guess it could be a little bit mystical I guess it could be a little bit um, silly hearted but what I think Kempis is proposing is a state of being that is inspired by love where we are not so infected um, by the sorrows and the frustrations of this world. Now I'm certainly not saying that I uh, I'm certainly not saying that I'm there but it is a daring proposition. Being perfected in love, uh, uh, really making an attempt to learn, to savor. And Kempis talks about in my inmost being. So not just an intellectual pursuit, not just... And that's one of the things, and every religion has its own... um, Perhaps deficiency, but within many religions, the, the... I guess the relationship to God is, is, is intellectual, right? Entirely intellectual. And what Kempis is saying is, I don't want it just to be intellectual. I want it instead to uh, be infectious to my entire being. I want it to reach in and grab me 
in my inmost being, in the deepest part of who I am. I want it to be a raw, hard conviction. I want it to be a part of my identity. I want, me, I want to believe in the love of God in such a deep, powerful, passionate way that it's literally a part of the fabric of my being. And that's what Kempis is talking about. Let me learn uh, uh, for the love of God to be a, a deep, interwoven part of who I am as an individual. So much so that I can't be separated from it. Uh, that tribulation, that sorrow, that pain, that suffering cannot separate me from the love of God because it is deeply woven into the fabric of who I am. And so Kempis is talking about almost a metaphysical, supernatural, uh, uh, outer-worldly experience with God that is so interwoven into who He is that He's literally dissolved, right? Uh, saturated in. He becomes the very fabric of the essence, which is God, which is love, right? And so one of the interesting things about what Kempis sees um, regarding God is that uh, love is not a quality of God. Love is not an attribute of God, but God is essentially love. It's the very fabric, the composition of who he is. And so the two can't be separated. And he's daring to dive into and to become dissolved into that identity. So this is where the idea that Kempis is somewhat of a mystic, this is where this comes from because he's not looking to intellectual, this is not systematic theology that we're talking about. But instead what Kempis is saying is I want to have a deep spiritual experience with God that supersedes even my own humanity, right? My own intellectualism and all that kind of stuff, which for a lot of us, I think, maybe could be hard to facilitate. But that's the challenge. The history of religion, and I'm talking about all religion, is littered with caricatures, uh, caricatures of God, right? Idols, essentially. Mental idols, uh, religious idols, uh, liturgical idols, um, intellectual idols that we call God that have led people to cruelty, to pain, to uh, racism, to uh, pre- all kinds of prejudices, um, <clears throat> tyranny, hmm, even uh, kingdoms of this world, you know, rulers, all kinds of things, even atheism, right? These caricatures have inspired cruelty, pain, suffering, torture, uh, war, right? Uh, The list goes on. People never cease to project onto God, really, uh, their individual and collective ideas. And so they actually make use of him, God, to exploit him for their own means, for their own purposes, for their own ideas, for their own prejudices, for their own moral composition, for their own 
misogyny. I mean, the list just goes on and on. The ways that God has been used and defined uh, and, and retarded for the really the prejudice and the hatred and the filth and uh, a whole host of other things for humanity, right? And not just within Christianity, too, uh, but every religion. Every religion in the world, in some way or another, has, uh, I guess, twisted the definition of who God is for the means and purposes of uh, mankind, right? For the rulers of that day and age. Whether it's the Dark Ages or other kinds of radical religion, oftentimes God gets defined by whatever the rulers of that day and age need God to be for them to retain their tyranny. Okay. But according to Jesus, who, if you're of the Jesus tradition, and even if you're not, his ideas present a very interesting dialogue about who God really is. And the Jesus idea about who God really is is extrapolated and expanded upon in the rest of the New Testament. So much so that the the Bible says, uh, uh, and the Bible, for those of you who, uh, most of you listening probably have a good understanding of of what that is, but for those of you that don't, the Bible is a collection of writings Hebrew and um, uh, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is Hebrew and Gentile, which means people who aren't Jewish. Uh, it's, a, it's a collection of those writings, and uh, they talk about who they believe God to be. And in the New Testament writings, um, one of the New Testament authors says that Jesus is the image or the presentation of the unseen God. So the attributes of Jesus, the personality of Jesus, the ideas of Jesus, the words of Jesus are merely an expression of the God in heaven that we have not seen. So what's interesting about that is the Bible goes on to say, like in 1 John chapter 4, let us love one another, for love is from God. So the expression of God in the world today is that we love one another. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God literally, and literally I'm, I'm, uh, I'm placing that in there, God is love. In this love God was made, in this The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Um, In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So what's interesting in in the uh, New Testament identity of who God is and how God is expressed in the world, once again, is love. Now, um, now let's talk about what love is and then I'll go to my next uh, thought. Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, gives a description of what love is. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Uh, it does not dishonor others. <clears throat> it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, it, it talking about love, always protects, <clears throat> always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then it ends with this, love never fails. Um, there is this unwavering and failing aspect of love that it's patient and kind, it isn't envious, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor others, you know, by dishonor, I mean insult or, or degrade. It doesn't create classes. You know, that's one of the things that I really notice is, uh, and I always get in trouble for saying this, but uh, Jesus in the New Testament seems to be uh, uh, extremely inclusive. doesn't seem to be a lot of hmm classes and labels within the Jesus tradition right so it doesn't dishonor others it's not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs that's what love does uh, and it protects trusts hopes and uh, it never fails, right? So that's what love is. Now, Brennan Manning, who um, wrote several books, one of them, uh, the most popular, probably the Ragamuffin Gospel. Brennan Manning is a super cool guy. Um, if you get a chance to check out his books, he's got uh, several of them. Uh, Furious Longing for God is one. Um, the Ragamuffin Gospel, another. But he's got a quote. In the um, furious longing for God that I'd like to read for you, and this is what it is. Uh, God is love. In human beings, love is a quality, a high-prized virtue. In God, love is his identity. Um... This is kind of an echo of what we talked about earlier. And that is that God and love, um, it's not dependent on anything that we have done. It's not dependent on anything that we're doing or that we'll ever do. Um... But in this really beautiful, incredibly powerful way, God loves us because He can do no other. When love is what you are, there are no other options available to you. I know that sounds a little bit simplistic, maybe even silly. 
but if we go back to Kempis and what he said earlier, let me learn to savor in my inmost being how sweet it is love how sweet it is to be dissolved dissolved in love and let that love the love of God let it take possession of me when Kempis talks about love he's not talking about something that is dependent upon some strict moral code and I'm not I'm not uh, uh, insulting morality it's not dependent upon incredible and perfect theology and I'm not even insulting theology although I'm not a huge fan um, what Kempis is talking about is something that supersedes that is bigger than all of those things God is love and I, I, I believe when the Bible says that it's the personification. It's the identity. There's so many identities given to God throughout the history of mankind. And the New Testament is painting an identity that is very simple. We, we come up with all these things, right? God is, uh, you know, God is this and God is that. God is a trinity. God is, you know, whatever. It's all these ideas about what God is. The New Testament's trying to paint a, a, a different picture. The New Testament's trying to paint a more simplistic picture. And that is simply that, you know what? God is love. He showed his love for us when Jesus came into the world that we might live and this is what Kempis is talking about that we might live through him and the amazing thing about this kind of love is, is that it's not predicated upon anything that we've done or, or that we could do yeah you know there's all kinds I guess of different directions that <clears throat> we could go with this. But instead of removing the mystery from what Kempis is talking about, instead of removing the mysticism and the, the spiritual, I, I, I guess, tenor of the statement, As we head into this season, really when we're celebrating the expression, the personification of God's love among humanity, which is, you know, Jesus Christ. Um, perhaps this would be a, uh, you know, good place to 
cut this off. You know, it, it's interesting because um, within the Jewish tradition, there is um, there is this, I guess, prayer, right? <clears throat> And uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I'm sure, but it's Ahavat Olam. And it is the second of the prayers surrounding the Shema. And uh, it's something that the Hebrew people do, and I believe they do it every single day, right? Ahavat Olam, um, which literally means... Um, or is um, celebrating and thanking God for the eternal, never-ending love that he has. Um, in fact, there's a prayer, and the prayer that, that uh, accompanies it uh, goes this way, with an eternal love, have you loved your people, Israel, by teaching us the Torah and its commandments, laws and precepts, Therefore, Adonai, our God, we shall meditate on your laws when we lie down and when we rise up, and we will we shall rejoice in the words of your Torah and your commandments forever. For they are our life and the length of our days, and we shall reflect upon them day and night. Oh, may you never remove your love from us. Blessed are you, Adonai, who loves your people, Israel. And so it literally is a prayer thanking God for his eternal love. So why don't we, you and I, make a habit of doing that? You know, there's something powerful. I think um, there's some great aspects of ritual that I think... um, it's a shame that we've discarded it uh, to the degree that we have, uh, particularly within the Protestant faith. We should institute some ritual into our life, and, and this is one of them, where we just thank God every single day for His never-ending eternal love. Yeah. All right, man. So that's it. Um, that's really what I, you know, kind of what I wanted to share with you today, man. I know it's, uh, God, I always say, always say uh, it's a little off, uh, just off the cuff, uh, <laughs> unscripted. And uh, yeah, I always say that. But uh, hey, you know what? Last week uh, I had uh, Kent Dobson on. Did you guys hear that? If, if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to last week's episode. It was really awesome. Kent, uh, such a great guy. And um, had so many really good guests on already. What did, we, what did I say? 17? This is episode 17? You should, uh, if you haven't listened to some of the other episodes, man, you got to go back and check some of those out. Uh, you will find some of them very deep and very complete, and then you'll find others of them uh, more like today, where we just sit down, turn the mic on, uh, pour a somewhat large glass of wine, and uh, I just start talking. 
about the things I'm thinking of, the things I'm meditating on. Uh, this this Thomas Kempis quote uh, that I shared with you today, man, that really hit me hard. I really, dude, I am such a frustrated uh, individual at times. I uh, am, get so upset with life, with bills, with the system that uh, the politics everything that's that surrounds me on a daily basis so many times it grabs a hold of my innermost being and really controls my persona and i read this quote by kempis uh, last week and it just has been bugging me right just needling me that um you know, there's a better way to live, and Kempis was pursuing that. Uh, yeah, let me learn to savor the sweetness of the love of God. All right, man. So that's it, dude. Jump online. Uh, the Black Sheep Experience, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Comment, like follow let me know you're out there let me know you listened let me know whatever also by the way i heard a guy talking about this today um if you haven't jumped on to itunes google play uh podcast republic whatever if you haven't jumped on there and rated or left a review go do that gosh I, i'm asking you guys to like stuff i'm asking you to follow stuff i'm asking you to review I'm so needy in this relationship. Uh, but do that, man. All those things make a huge difference. And, uh, hey, you know what? At least I'm not asking you to tithe. Jeez. Um, yeah, all those things make a big difference. And you can do that, you know, while you're updating your status, you know, while you're posting your a picture of your meal or whatever. Uh, yeah, you can do that. All right, that's it, man. Jump online. Do all the stuff I just told you to do. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. And uh, that's it, man. God bless you guys. I am... Wait for it. One, two, three. Done. Done.